I speak to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. Amen. Our home church, All Saints in Chicago, is the church that taught me that since we Christians have good news, we ought to be joyful about it. They celebrate in amazing ways there, and at times, I confess, they take some liberties with the details of worship to convey the good news, the joy, the abundance of God. One of those ways is in using champagne for communion wine on festive occasions, Easter, Pentecost, All Saints Day, and for weddings and funerals. A few years ago, when Tracy's mother died, we knew that though Elizabeth was not an Episcopalian, we wanted to have her funeral at All Saints. We met with our priest, Bonnie, to plan the service. We picked out the readings. We chose the hymns together. We talked about the sermon. And then at the end of that time, Bonnie said, don't forget the champagne. And don't be cheap. Get the good stuff. So dutifully, Tracy and I went to the liquor store and we sprang for pretty pricey Veuve Clicquot. We both adored Elizabeth. And having champagne worthy of her, she who always, always celebrated with the bubbly, well, it felt exactly right. And we sort of loved thinking about our friends and family, many not Episcopalian, having a delicious sip of champagne at communion time. We arrived early for the viewing before the funeral. We handed over the champagne to the priest and then Bonnie handed it over to the seminarian to keep it cold. Later, we learned that since it was a day like today, he decided to chill it by plunging it into a snowbank outside the back door of the parish house. And did I mention that we were in Chicago and that the parish house backs up onto a city alley? I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised then when Bonnie sidled up to me right before mass began and whispered, the champagne's missing. Well, shoot. But what could we do? We were greeting people one after another, and Bonnie was doing all the work of getting a funeral service started. Regular wine would have to do. Still, it niggled at Tracy and me. We'd bought that champagne because Elizabeth loved it, and we bought it to share our faith in the goodness of God, the good news of resurrection in the face of death. The service began, readings were read, hymns were sung, I preached the sermon, and then somewhere in the middle of the prayers, I saw Bonnie give a slight nod, and I turned, and I saw a good friend from All Saints walking softly down a side aisle, a bottle-shaped bag in her hand. 
And so at the Eucharist, Bonnie popped a new bottle of Veuve Clicquot and consecrated a delicious loaf of bread and that sparkling wine. And we each had a taste of the best wine, a sign of joy in resurrection, even in the midst of sadness. Now I realize that this might sound a little shocking to the more traditional among us. And don't worry, I feel confident that you'll never see me popping a cork at the altar of all saints. But that delicious sparkling wine at the funeral of my beloved mother-in-law captured the joy we are meant to feel. The joy and celebration that we see and hear at the wedding of Cana. There's a lot to talk about here, but what I see in this story, the first sign of Jesus in the Gospel of John, what I see is overflowing abundance. The radical grace, the lavishness of, and the joy and laughter behind Jesus' actions. It's his first act in ministry in the Gospel of John, and at 30, he's attending a wedding in a small town with his mom and his disciples. In the midst of festivities, the wine runs out. Disaster. For in those days, the bride and the groom and their families were expected to host a seven-day party, and the guests and the neighbors were supposed to bring gifts of food and wine to help share in offering hospitality. This was absolutely essential in this culture, which was all about hospitality. It represented the goodness of God, abundance, joy, blessing. It represented the family's role in the community. To run out of wine wouldn't just have been inconvenient or embarrassing. It would have been shaming. It would have been a catastrophe, the kind of thing that you never lived down in your hometown. And so Mary steps in. They have no wine. Jesus, a little resistant to beginning this ministry, responds, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. And here I swear the gospel writer is laughing just a little bit as he wrote this because Mary ignores Jesus completely, you know, savior, king of kings, and she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. In other words, she sort of shows him up, making clear that he is going to take care of this, <laughs> despite what he says. And so Jesus asks the servants to fill with water the jars used by the guests to wash up before they eat. The six jars each of which holds up to 25 gallons. Then he tells them to draw off some of the water and take it to the chief steward, which they do, and he is amazed and perplexed. Here is wine, and not just any wine, but delicious wine, the best wine, and there are gallons and gallons and gallons of it, enough to supply the wedding feast, not just for a few more days, but for weeks to come. The steward almost seems to accuse the bridegroom of doing something scandalous or maybe ridiculously generous. Everyone serves the good wine first, 
and then the inferior wine, he says, after the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the good wine till now. I mean, this is like serving the Chateau Neuf de Pop or the Dom Perignon after having already served folks the boxed wine or the two buck chucks. In other words, it's profligate. It's ridiculous. It's a reversal of how things are supposed to be done. The steward understands that this is good wine. He can taste it, but he doesn't know where it comes from or why. So a pushy mom, an exasperated messiah, a funny exuberant miracle of abundance and service of a party, a clueless steward, all in the service of Jesus' first sign in backwater Cana, where Jesus first reveals his glory, leading his disciples to believe in him. Now the point here, of course, is not the miracle itself, but what it tells us about Jesus, about God, so that we might believe as the disciples believed. And so what do we learn from this multiplication, this transformation of water into wine? Well, I think we learn that God wants joy for us. God wants love and laughter. God's grace overflows even when we don't understand it or know where it comes from. God will reverse the way things are supposed to be in order to share the good. And if we hope to be aware, hope to be open to this grace rather than allowing all that is good and lovable, beautiful and holy to pass us by, then we might have to get comfortable with being corrected or with asking God a second time to do what's right. We might have to get used to looking a little bit foolish, to being lavish with our love, over the top with our laughter, ridiculous in our generosity, too enthusiastic with our hugs, because that's the kind of God we worship. One who gives us good wine when we're too drunk or too stupid to know any better. One who gives us more wine than we can use or deserve one who can use whatever is at hand to bless us. This might make us a little uncomfortable. For we humans like to follow rules. We like to worship in a particular way. We like to give money to folks we think deserve it and just enough. We like to hang out with folks like ourselves. We like to throw out the old when it's not working. Well, at least I know that's how I am. But I hold on to the memory of a bottle generously appearing at a funeral of champagne in a chalice. Those were signs to me on that day of the abundance of our God, the lavish love God has for each one of us. And when I get stingy, you know, like, every 10 minutes or so, it helps me to remember how the good wine has shown up in my life over and over again, even when I didn't know where it came from. It helps to remember that the good wine in my life, all the good 
in my life is only and always of God. And I see, I feel, I know the goodness, the grace, the abundance, the joy, the laughter of God right here at All Saints Indy, too. Here in our glorious, abundant, over-the-top music and worship, in the lavish parties and receptions that we host with such grace, in the way you care for one another, in our openness to whoever walks through our door, and most recently in the success of our pledge campaign, but probably better and even cooler than that, our wild collection of over 20,000 pairs of socks for the homeless. Beloved, we have been blessed. We are being blessed with joy and abundance and grace. We have been blessed with good wine, good news, and it is ours to share. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.